Hi, Steve Addison here for the Movements Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere, even in a time of crisis. Today we're in Booger Hollow talking to Jeff Sundell about multiplying leaders in a time of crisis. We sort of had a planned uh, meeting where I was headed to South Asia to do some training, coaching, mentoring, and uh, my wife, uh, Angie, was coming back to watch uh, a baby, grandbaby be born. And um, so, uh, Sonny, I've got about two weeks into that in South Asia, and up till last Friday, man, we're blowing and going. You're just rolling with training, and then everything just came to a screeching halt. I think it was Thursday night, actually, Friday morning. And so probably spent about four or five days up, maybe 30, 40 minutes of sleep in four or five days, uh, just sort of triaging some of the stuff around the globe uh, related to NPL and E3 and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, and, and in the midst of that, one of the phone calls we had, um, we were uh, you know, there's a lot of men, what do you do in this time? I mean, cause everybody's having to adjust, you know? And, um, so, you know, adjusting to social media or man, reaching out to some friends and starting a discovery Bible study. How do you love loud when you're not allowed to be near people, you know, and mm-hmm. just all kind of challenges, you know, and, and then in a place where there's 1.2 billion people, you know, and just thinking of what that's like. And, um, so in the end, it became very clear the net was closing. I was not going to be reunited with my wife anytime soon if I continued to stay there. And everything we had planned literally got canceled within about 24 hours for the next several weeks. So I just sort of made a call to come back home. And um, really, just because it's not good for a man to be separated from his wife. Because <laughs> it was looking like it was going to be a couple months. So um, yeah. anyhow, came back home. I honestly, I'm not usually a person who struggles with anxiety, but I honestly, when I saw I was going through New York City, mm. um, while I'm sitting in South Asia, I was wrestling with some anxiety. I actually called a couple people and had them pray for me. And that's not normally a thing I, you know, wrestle with. But I'm, you know, I'm also 54 years old and borderline down diabetic and high blood pressure and, you know, diverticulitis and all that kind of fun mm-hmm. stuff. And so I realized my, my frailties, you know, in the midst of that. Um, but anyhow, I, I had to come through New York City and, um, you know, and, and you just do what you got to do there. But so I'm actually back home. I have seen my wife at a distance. I have um, So you're, you're isolated from Angie. Yeah, I'm I'm. I'm I got four. Well, I'm just I'm about eight days into my 14 day quarantine, living in a camper in Booger Holler. Um, I'm up here on the top of the hill in a truck because we couldn't get the internet to work. Um, you know, so taking walks in the woods, doing a little praying, cooking my own food, all that fun stuff. Oh my. Um, you know, and like I said, I got a peek at the grandbaby and um, got to get to see Angie, Angie occasionally, but uh, uh, no touch right now with uh, anybody. So. Anyhow, so I think um, the latest advice, Jeff, is that marital separation should go on for a month or two. <laughs> no, uh, I, the Bible said it's good for a man to be with a woman and a woman to be with a man. So our okay. our time is up. I got <laughs> six, seven more days and that's it. There and we also I think we all want to know what you're cooking on your own is my next question. 
man, I'm grilling veggies like crazy. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to eat healthy in the midst of all this chaos. So a uh, little odd for me to be grilling veggies. But I'm also at the mercy of whatever my wife brings to me because I'm not going out in public. So, um, so I think she's trying to keep me healthy. So, um, Jim, um, but what, 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 what do you think God's up to in all of this? Well, that's the sort of I was going to shift. You know, we were on a call the other day, and you know, there's a lot of wrestling right now. What do you, what do you do? So, one in a response of what do we do uh, as far as loving loud, caring for people. I mean, in some ways, keeping distance from people is a good way to love loud, um, also. But also, just man, what can we do to care for neighbors? Um, yeah. And what do we do with our our spheres of influence that we love and care about? You know, and so we've been wrestling through that. You know, there's great stories of people calling up old high school friends and asking to do a discovery Bible study. And they're saying, yes. I mean, one guy had a hundred percent say yes. Um, but the piece we were wrestling with is this idea of, Hey, should we fast and pray, you know, about this situation? And I think it's always good to fast and pray, no doubt. Mm. But I, I just said, well, man, I really think we need to go back and look. We, we called a time of fasting and prayer, January one through 31. And some people did 31 days, some did 40. I just said, man, we just really need to go back and just hear from God. What what all did he speak to us? Let's reach out to the body. What are we hearing? Because the two things we prayed for very specifically was every people, every place engaged with the gospel of Jesus Christ through multiplying disciples, multiplying churches by 2025. There'd be teams in place. And then we also prayed that God would raise up the men and women that would do that. And something a little beyond a Luke 10-2. So just praying that Luke 10-2 prayer, but and praying for that one who's like Moses or praying for that one that's like Aquila and Priscilla, praying for that one that's like Paul or Apollos. And um, so that, that's just really got my heart, you know, just going, man, I feel like in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the difficulty, because one of the common characteristics of movements, and even 10 years ago, we were wrestling with this piece of, you know, the Western European peoples is, you know, a lot of times there's tremendous suffering in the movements, especially if you look into Asia and Africa and the Middle East. And now we're going through a season of suffering that's difficult and it's, you know, it's costly. And, um, you know, but at, at the same time, suffering changes the soil of a heart yeah. and changes the soil of uh, people. So I think in one sense, yeah, we need to fast pray. Man, we want to do everything in the world to save every single life. But we also want to make sure we do everything to save every soul. For Jesus Christ. But, you know, the other piece I think we need to think about is, though, is, man, what's God got on the other side of this? You know, and for me, that's where God really put this thing on my heart of going, man, what if he's raising up those Moseses? He's raising up those Pauls, those Aquilas, Priscillas. Are we going to be ready on the other side of this with no place left to run out and find these folks? And, um, you know, we can't be sitting on our heels because if God is answering those prayers from January and he's setting us up. Are we going to be poised to run after what God promised he's going to do? Cause we're not, again, we're not talking about our idea. This is a promise that every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every city, every place, um, you know, and, and it's, and it's not even just necessarily about a church planting movement. It's about that every single person has the right to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ at least one time in their life. I'm 54 years old and in the public place, you know, one time Ron Barbagley shared the gospel with me in a public place in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And that led 
to meet common in Christ, but 54 years old in an open place and only one time. How many more people will never, ever have a chance? And this is the time to rise up and make sure, because that's, that's what it's all about. It's the church planning movements, the methods are, an, you know, they're, they're, a, they're a vehicle for this. But God's heart, God's promise is that he is very slow about his promise because he wants all men, all places to have an opportunity to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And we have to believe that this is part of um, how he wants to use the body of Christ is to uh, reach out and to love that sphere of influence and take the gospel to him. Right now, we may have to do it through media, but there's going to come a day soon where we're going to be set free and we need to be prepared to go. So that's sort of what God's been putting on my heart. So in the immediate term and maybe months, we need to find ways of loving and proclaiming the gospel with the people in our relational world, especially. You know, one of the things Michelle and I have been doing is we just, we got a bread maker. We, we bake a loaf of bread every day, wrap it in uh, cling wrap, <laughs> wash our hands, you know, and then we're just at the door of one of our neighbours saying, look, we won't come in, but here's a loaf of bread. Um, have you got any needs? Maybe we're going to ask, can we pray for you in any way? Um, mm-hmm. So it, we need to find ways of connecting in the short term. But it yeah. sounds like you're also saying, you know, this could be a game changer. And one of the strategic things to do is let's be preparing for raising up those movement catalysts and multipliers that will take advantage of this open open door of opportunity. Yeah, and that's why I was talking to Peter. I, I wanted to really sort of switch, turn the tables on you and um, sort of let Peter and I um, uh full interview on you. Okay. Um, one of the things that God's really put on my heart is this idea of words, works, wineskin. You know, Steve sort of coined that term. It was more, more or less what Bruce Carlton always taught us is go to the word first. Um, when op- obstacles are God's greatest opportunity to work. So go to the word first, then look at the works of God, those case studies, those, you know, the things we know, the biographies, and then the wineskin. What is that new wineskin mm-hmm. that new place? And each wineskin might be unique to each place. Mm-hmm. And so the, the question, you know, Peter and I want to take and just sort of run to people over the next several weeks who um, are movement leaders, have a lot of experience in movements, um, been involved. This is almost to develop a profile. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think scripture gives us a good profile. So, you know, one of the questions, you know, I'd like to ask is being, I mean, just off the cuff, what, what would be sort of, you know, in your mind, first question, the biblical profile of a movement leader. Mm. The second question would be, you know, you've interviewed numerous people um, who've been involved in movements and what are the things you've seen? What are the patterns you've seen? You're really good at, I think, exegeting scripture, but you're also really good at exegeting culture and, um, people. And so, man, coming up and seeing those patterns that are common in these movement leaders. Now, we, we, the problem is we may end up with the maximum. We're going to find these great yeah. movement yeah. leaders you know, on the maximum. But what we're looking for is we want to sort of shrink back a little bit. Maximum is what we want to develop. Yeah. So the third question might be, on a minimum, what's got to be there? Mm. 
you know, and, um, and I think that's the piece we got to really wrestle with. Um, it's sort of like church. We can always say here, Hey, here's the maximum of a church. But when you're starting a church, I really need to shoot it. What's the minimum to get to the beginning of a church that'll let it grow into a healthy church. Same way with this movement leader. What's the core things, maybe head, heart, hands that needs to minimum be with this guy. And now you could develop them because hands to me is pretty easy to develop heart is a whole different ball game, you know, and sometimes that, you know, the head too, but, um, so anyhow, that would be sort of the questions okay. that um, well, you, Peter and I you, would like to ask you. You, you and Peter are hijacking my interview. Then that's what you yeah. said. Yes, we How are. Often? How often does that happen? That's the real question. Not often. Not, yeah. not even Troy Cooper has the courage to do that. <laughs> well, I would. I think I would tailor it first. Then, um, just as I'm thinking, as you're asking those questions, Jeff is just man. I'm thinking of the little bit I read of rise and fall of movements but when you come back to that word piece steve like what just jumps to your mind is that that movement leader in the bible i love how you said that jeff that's where we start so any few things just jump to your mind when you hear that well i what i love to say is um none of us gets to rise above the lord jesus and you know for me it's only a few years ago it's as though the it finally i got it and it had been in the scriptures the whole time. You know, there's Jesus in his baptism and his wilderness testing about to launch the movement. What's the father writing on his heart? And it's his identity, you know, the, the obedience to the father's word, which is an expression of his love and submission. And so we're looking for that. We're looking for a dependence on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit I mean, we're worried about a virus. Jesus gets thrust into the wilderness for 40 days to, to fight pure evil. And yet God is working out his purposes in that, that terrible time of trial and, and, and of hunger. So that dependence on the spirit. And then, then finally, committed commitment to the core missionary task of multiplying disciples and churches. And Jesus is willing to lay down his life for the sins of the world. He's also willing to walk away from people who just want the signs and wonders or just want the bread that he provides, and they'll make him king if, if they can just, you know, uh, see his miracle power, see the prosperity, all of those things. But he walks away because he's the bread of life. And so he stays on target. That mission for him at the heart of it is the making of disciples through faith in Christ. So first of all, in the scriptures, we're going to see that repeated again and again. We're going to see God shaping the heart of Peter or grabbing a hold of Paul and ruining him in order to to shape those things into his very being. Um, But because of those three things in his identity, he steps out immediately and you know, after the 40 days and the baptism and the empowerment, he returns in the power of the Spirit. Jesus is a man of action. He doesn't just say, well, the, it's, you know, prayer is just the battle. He prays and then he goes proclaiming the gospel, casting out demons, teaching, preaching, developing leaders. So he's a man of action, not just a man of solitude. And, um, you know, that's I think, and then 
beyond that, and, you know, we could talk about the four fields as a pattern of his action, but then the new wineskins is, is, is he teaches with authority, he, he uses the parables, he's, he's found zero-dollar budget ways of, of training his disciples in mission. You know, everything he does doesn't require huge organisation and funding and it can go viral. Um, so in Jesus, we've just got this perfect example of uh, what we're looking for in movement catalysts. We see that repeated in Paul, in, in his own way, in Peter. But then throughout history, you know, when these sort of individuals have popped up, we see some of these same patterns. You just can't get away from the life and ministry of Jesus. Um, that's just my quick overview. Um, you got a follow-up question, Peter or, or, um, or Jeff? Yeah, a pattern that I would ask you about. It just came back to mind. Um, and I remember when you, I think when you told the story in the book, you referenced um, Russell there um, with the Move Network in England is just the pattern of a, a time of trial and testing. Yeah. Uh, how much could you co- comment on that? Especially when you think about, we see that in scripture, you already pointed to those with Paul mm-hmm. and with um, Jesus. How much of that is part of the, the, that works piece? Like you just see that repeated throughout history when um, God raises up a movement leader. It's kind of a scary question to ask for depending on what we're desiring of our lives, but <laughs> that um, there's been a trial. There's been a really deep, hard place. Yeah. So I'd love for you to comment on that. Yeah, almost without exception in both in scripture and in history um bobby clinton who wrote the making of a leader he talks about life crisis and you know it doesn't it's not always a continual pattern but um and i'm I'm thinking of of russell you know before we hooked up um you know or when we hooked up he was he and his wife were still in grief because they'd lost their 21 year old son uh, to cancer. And now I'm not going to get into the whole where is God in all of that, but but Russell and Jan found God in all of that, as severely as they were tested. So I'm sitting across from a leader who God has his hands on, hand on Russell's life at that point. And it's so we've gone to England trusting him that we would find movement catalysts. And we're working hard to do that. We're going down some dead ends. And God just gifts this man to me. Uh, Well, he brings me into the relationship as the catalyst in Russell's life. And, you know, Russell is is a leader with the skills. You know, he, he knows how to lead. He's a leader of others. He's been an effective pastor for 20 years. But his identity is in Christ, and he's found that identity through a very difficult time of suffering. And, you know, my role, it's a little bit like I'm a little tugboat, and here you've got this ocean liner. I just nudge the thing, you know, and a bit of training um, and wrestles away. Um, he's what some would call a beast in the harvest. You know, he just he loved every. May, he's going to be morning, afternoon and night out in the harvest. And he's doing that every week normally, but the whole month of May, he just clears his his, uh, 
his calendar. So he's a frustrated man right now. He can't get out. Mm. <laughs> hey, Steve, yeah. let me um, add, just go a little further with Peter's question there. Yeah. If you are thinking head, heart, hands, you know, mm. and, and not only Russell, but even just a lot of the men you've, um, and this is really hard to do it. Um, but what would be, man, maybe those three things mm. you saw that were related to this guy's heart. What were the three things that, you know, maybe he had in his hands? And I don't necessarily mean organized. He didn't necessarily have movement tools in his hands. But, you know, for example, he has the gospel in his hands. You know, mm. um, you know what, what are some of those minimum things or those things? I don't even minimum. What is it that popped out that you go, wow, there's a common thread among these guys on these couple things? I think I'm, I'm just going to start with some of the heart stuff. It's, it's what we talked about with identity. But you don't always start with that. You could get halfway into this thing and the Lord's now taking them deeper in that identity piece. So they may have some rough edges to start with. But also yeah. in the heart, you know, I'm thinking of a guy like Augie Martin. Um, you know, he, it's like you stick him in a conference you know, even a no place left conference, he's agitated because he can't be out in the harvest. Now, sooner or later, whether it's Augie Martin or John Wesley or Paul, you know, these movements aren't led just by people like me who are ideas, head people, you know, and we're, we're rushing to catch or trying to catch up to the, the action part. They've really got to be action-orientated individuals. You know, I think of... Um, you know that it's it's C, you know it's Julius Caesar. He, he's got the red cape on and the sword in his hand. And when they're fighting, I think it was the Celts. Um, he's rushing to wherever there's a breach in the defences. Now he's not going to win that battle just by his own effort, but he's rallying the troops by being on the front line with that. And some of the best leaders uh, have got that that holy zeal and passion to be on the front line. So you've got to have that. But every now and again, the Lord's going to say, I know, Paul, you want to be on the front line and you're not afraid, but I'm going to stick you in prison because <laughs> there's an identity piece dropping here. I, I want mm. to work deeper in this heart stuff, your identity in Christ. Mm. I think the knowledge part we, we often, you know, we, we've been doing four fields training online and we did it face-to-face in Africa recently and people come to me and they say, Steve, if only we'd known this 10 years ago, you know, this knowledge of simple tools and simple processes, uh, the four fields approach, you know, if only we'd known. And I said, no, no, because God has been preparing you the easy part is to drop some knowledge in, into you or to drop some skill. But the skills must come. The, the paradigm shift has to come. But it's especially effective when it comes to people who have signed up for this thing. Sometimes it comes at the beginning and they're very successful and then the Lord says, I'm going to set you aside for a while. <laughs> and you're going to do yeah. some of that deeper work. So I don't see it as one more important than the other. Well, you know, the identity piece, the heart piece is foundational, but it's also got to be linked to uh, paradigm shifts in understanding movements and simple skills. You know, we talk about big vision, 
clear path, something like the four fields, and then simple tools. Mm. But it, it's they're all interrelated, and and God will be going to work in one area or another at different times. That's what mm. I've seen. But you know, some of my concern in the West is, you know, this has happened with you, Jeff. I'll have you and some of the guys with me. And they all want to know Steve because he knows stuff. He writes the books. And I remember we turned up to a conference and everybody said, oh, introduce Steve and his team, you know. Well, these are the guys I write stories about, <laughs> you know. Um, and so I have a quiet word to the organizer. Don't you realize these are the guys that I write about these guys, you know. And in the West we're going to think it's the guy who has the head, you know, but that's insufficient with you don't get a movement without the Augie Martins or the, you know, the, the, the Kumars or the Lee Pops or the people that just, they've got to be on the front line and they're godly and they have the knowledge and the skills. Mm-hmm. Well, Steve, one, one thing you said I, I want to mm-hmm. highlight or ask maybe to go a little further. I think one of the underlying pieces, um, you know, these guys can be rough around the edges, yeah. but I think yeah. Almost every circumstance there, when you're talking about head, heart, hands, there's this level of humility with these guys. And, and so that humility, you know, and, and, you know, it's hard on humility because I see it's a bit of a head thing. It's truly a heart thing, but it affects the hands. But yeah. just out of curiosity, you know, you've watched guys um, mature and grow in this over time. What are some of the you know, what have you noticed about humility in particular? Because, um, again, I would tie that right back to Christ. I'd tie it right back to Paul. Yeah. And so anything you've seen on that? Yes. Well, and uh, the, it's two things. Because humility alone won't get you there. It's humility and determination. Mm. And uh, so it's humility that first of all is surrendered to the Lord and out of that, maybe they get the aha moment that, you know, if it's all about me, it's not a movement, it's a ministry. And then just they make that choice because they're after that result, I've got to serve these guys. That Sometimes it goes that way. Um, but they actually know they these guys see something bigger than a ministry. They're not that, that if you said, I'll put you in a stadium with 100,000 people and you can pre and you could do that with Wesley, you know, and he'd say, well, I don't want to be there unless I can train and mobilize thousands of people to, to, to disciple them. So he was quite happy to speak to thousands of in the crowds, but partly because he saw the end. He saw that a movement is not the John Wesley show, come, come to my big building or I'll go around the, and look, there are, there's a play. Billy Graham was a great, made a great contribution, but it's not a movement unless it's grassroots up. And, mm. and, and so what they understand is, okay, that determination is serving the humility and the, and the humility is serving the determination. So they've got to have a big vision and realize even if I can fill an auditorium, that's not a movement. That's a ministry, mm. an event. 
And so partly it's not just that they're more humble than, than, than somebody else. It's also because they see the big vision and they understand mm. the strategy to get us there. Mm. Um, but there is another factor where, you know, humility comes through suffering, through weakness. Mm. Um, and mm. the Lord will use that in their lives. So it's not just this will get my results, therefore I'm humble, but also ultimately I'm trusting God. And, and you know, the reason Paul was confident to step back from the churches he planted was because of his confidence in the living word and the Holy Spirit. So there's a spiritual dimension to humility that Paul amazingly could say, remember my example. So in one sense, he's not false. It's not false humility. <laughs> Just remember me, you know. Um, yeah. saying because, and I'm entrusting you to the word and the spirit. So it's not just the spirit of Paul and his example as a great man, but the same spirit who inspired in the same word that enlivened him now is with this group of, of, of leaders in Ephesus. That's what I'm learning. Um, okay, I want to I double turn um, because I remember on a, a podcast with Steve, I believe it was Chuck Wood, he called out Jeff and he said, Jeff has, just has a knack for when he goes to a city and trains, he finds the generals. So I want to turn, I want to double turn this interview around and ask you, Jeff, when, when you have done, you've probably more than anybody I know, have just done the, basically the drop in and leave training. Um, and I, and then I can see just people that I've known and connected with that have continued then basically what you taught over a four day weekend, they continue to roll it out. What do you look for in that really clear, I would say, wineskin in the West? Like, just what is, what are you like, you just wait and see who does it? Like, I just would love to know if you have any thought process there. Or I'd love to hear that. Yeah. Wow. You, you turned it on me. That's, that's a great question. Um, I, you know, I think a lot of the characteristics of the things Steve has already mentioned, you know, you don't really see that till, you know, time. Mm-hmm. on some of those things. So for me, it's, it's pretty simple that, you know, the, the word of God is powerful. And Steve, while we were in um, uh, near Corinth, you know, last May mm-hmm. uh, at that mid-level, I, I just remember you talking, you know, the word of God will not return void till it accomplishes its purpose, Isaiah fifty-five eleven, and just the power of the word, you know. So to me, when you're training and you're teaching, it's that trusting in the power of the word. And when you're throwing out the word of God there, I'm just sort of watching for four things. People hear it um, and then they respond to it. They respond positively or negatively. Um, And with the positive response, there's usually a change in behavior, which we would call obedience. Mm. And with the steps of obedience, usually the next thing is the fruit um, comes from that. And so to me, that would be whether you are sharing the gospel and birthing you know, children of Christ, you know, through natural birth or you're out training and equipping, um, you know, you're looking for those that are obeying Christ, that Christ is central to their life and central to their walk. And, um, and then I, you know, as time goes on, you, you get to see the heart, um, at first, but, um, to me, the biggest thing I'm usually looking for and watching for a leader is that there's Anything that hinders the priesthood of the believers, um, they're willing to jump over that 
you know, so like who can baptize, yeah. who can plant a church, who can lead. So these guys are, there's a bit of that risk taker. Um, and, and may, it may seem a little, I don't know, strong at times that they lead that way, but they were built this way. And it's just fishing them out with some of those hard sayings and difficult things. And then you're just putting the word out there and letting them rise to the occasion of obeying. And then just, you're, you're not really, in some ways, maybe you're empowering them, but in a lot of ways, all you're doing is you just let them to the gate to do what they were created to do. Yeah. And um, yeah. so to me, it's that response to the word of the God. Now, over time, I'm going to, I'm going to learn about, you know, some of the character, the integrity, the heart, the um, things like that. But that would just sort of be one of the initial things that's right there immediately is that change of behavior or that act of obedience of maybe sharing a testimony, maybe praying for somebody, maybe, you know, releasing authority to do something like baptize whatever it may be. Um, and then, you know, the fruit comes, but the, the fruit's God's clearly, mm-hmm. and, and they have a, a posture to realize it's God's and they're willing to then begin equipping with those things. So that would be in a nutshell, sort of what mm-hmm. I'm usually watching for and, or and even praying for. Sometimes Jeff, the fruit doesn't come, you know, yes, immediately. But you watch it because they, they say, I don't care if the fruit doesn't come. I'm doing this because it's right. That's because right. What it's, did. it's because what I'm called to. So the obedience is worship. Back, oh, it never works, Steve. They're saying, you know, we're not seeing a breakthrough yet, but I'm going to be out there anyway because this is the heart of God. Um, That's right. And I, looking back, there's, a, there's an incredible sovereignty of God that you don't realize at the moment, right? And this this strange thing, it's like, Lord, it's like evangelism. Lord, we're out there sowing the seed. We're offering training. We're following leaders up, all of that. And looking back, I say, oh, you gave me a, a, a Russell in, in the UK or a Joel Shaw in, 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 in Australia or a Colin Craggs over in Perth or whoever it might have been, um, that, but you don't realize it at the time. You just realize, oh, I want to be, you know, following this guy up because he's, you know. But with time, you see this was a sovereign work of God. And the thing I'd push back against is don't just turn it into equation. If I train a 1,000, I'll find that one key leader, as though your training of a 1,000 got you that leader. I'd say mm-hmm. go and train a 1,000. And at the end of the day, you're still powerless unless God gives you that leader. Well, why not just sit in your, your living room and pray? Well, the same with evangelism. You, you know, you could yeah. sit there and pray and God will bring you that one person. Okay, but that's not what Jesus did. So stop thinking about what works and start with what did Jesus do? Well, he bowled up to some guys and he says, come follow me. I'll teach you how to fish for people and go, go and do that. And somewhere amongst all of those people will be a Paul or will be a, you know, a Peter or, or, or you know, for somewhere there's those leaders, but they're gifts of God. You know, you did what you're meant to do in faith and faithfulness, but looking back, it's not like I made these guys. I just was there like the midwife <laughs> when the Lord was taking them from one stage in their development into a greater 
contribution as a movement catalyst. It was a miracle of God, just as if I talk to a thousand people and one person believes, it's not that I saved them. I was the midwife. The Lord saved them. And that protects us about just doing nothing, but it also protects us at feeling like the burden is all on me, you know, unless I do a good job as a trainer or a coach, you know, you know, these people are gifts from God, but you've you've got to be out there in order to find them. Yep. Uh, really practical. I don't know how much more time we have, but um, what this could be anything. Scripture, case studies, uh, really practical right now. Uh, what's the you find a movement leader in the harvest? Not not a believer right now. These people that you're you're thinking about, Jeff, that we need to coming out of this current lockdown have our eyes open for are they completely lost right now are they believers um they don't have the tools like some of the steve you shared about or is it a mix of both i'd love to hear either of you guys share on that i don't know i, I think that's part of why we're asking this question is just to create one awareness because i think the one piece i didn't share that um i've shared often though i think fasting and prayer yeah um is i'm looking for leaders. I mean, that's a normal rhythm in our lives is fasting and prayer. And of course we had this special fast of 31 days, you know, corporately of a lot of people fasting and praying. So there's one sense you're going, okay, I'm trusting God has got those people out there. I, I think they're going to, I think it's going to be both. And I think we're going to see a lot of people birthed into the kingdom right now over the coming weeks. And there's already people coming into the kingdom, but I think we're going to see more. I also think though, it's going to wake some up who go, wow. I, you know, when the, when you're sitting in the country, I remember, you know, went to bed one night in Nepal and I woke up the next morning and the King and queen and the whole Royal family was killed. And I mean, our world changed in Nepal that day in 2001 and then I remember another time we were in a lockdown and we're sitting down and it was a, like a shoot to kill order. and We were allowed to go out, but we were about 30 days plus in Nepal and just sitting there and we could go out and for an hour a day to go get food, sort of like this. Mm-hmm. But I remember one day, you know, the people had enough and they marched on the palace and they overthrew the government, you know, um, you know, so you just we're in one of those moments where I think a lot of people are going, wow, this is different. And so I think there's going to be a peace in God, in people's heart that God's raising up, that they're shedding off some things that before may have hindered them. Maybe a Hebrews 12, um, you know, one, three, one through three moment where some of those things that are encumbering and hindering, um, you know, I, I have a feeling this is a type of watershed moment that sheds those things off to where you go, man, what are we going to do about this? Yeah. You know, because this is, this is, uh, this is global, man. You know, if this, if the heat doesn't stop this thing in some of the places like in Asia, you know, it's already bad. Um, but it's going to be bad. Yeah. And, you know, in the midst of that suffering and in the midst of that difficulty, God's sovereign mm. and he's on the throne, he's in control but he desires every single person to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ once 
so they can repent and believe. And I got to believe that the body of Christ wants to rise up and go after that and make sure that happens. Cause we've not, you know, in our lifetimes, we haven't seen an event like this. There've been events in countries that have been worse, you know, for seasons and times without a doubt, but we've not seen something emerging this level on a global level in our lifetimes. So there's been worse for sure in countries and I'm not minimizing that, but in the midst of it, you know, I think the one thing we can take away from Paul is when suffering comes, we need to look into the eyes of Christ and one go, what is there here for me to learn from it? But then also in the midst of suffering is to realize God is using that to increase our ability to minister. And so he is allowing us to have the opportunity to be greater, more effective ministers for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jeff, I I think of, you know, a generation ago, we felt disaster because there's an Islamist government in uh, ruling from Tehran across Iran. And fast forward a generation and one of the most responsive people groups on the planet. And we've got to believe that, okay, God brings discipline in history, Uh, nations, individuals, but also the whole world. And he does that because of his redemptive love. And that just if we've come under the discipline of God through this uh, terrible virus and it breaks the heart of the father, that this is happening, and yet here is a window of opportunity. We've got to trust uh, the Lord during this time to raise up uh, leaders who will reach cities. That's all we've got time for today. Thanks to Peter Lindell of the On The Road podcast for working with me on this episode. This is Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast.